Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can go to Genesis chapter 41, and we're going to go there, page 31 of that Bible in front of you, if you'd like to go along. I don't know if you're like me, but I still like the hard-backed books with the paper and the letters and the black and white. Not so much the Kindles or the iPads or you name it. I'm just an old-fashioned person, I guess, still. But page 31 of the Bible in front of you, again, if you don't have a home church, I pray that you would find one that preaches and teaches the scriptures faithfully, and that's on the, that will be also on the screen behind me if you want to follow along. And if you have not been here, or if you have long uh, four score and seven years ago, also known as two weeks ago, we started, we, we continued the story of Joseph is a story about a family, and this is a story that helps us see and sort of helps us outline our families. And I know many of us are walking through many family hurts, broken relationships, circumstances that seem bleak, and some of us are walking through some pretty positive and God honor and honoring relationships in our families. But I'm trusting God to do a very restorative work in our families that are right now in this moment that God would do some extraordinary work and that the real stuff of this story, which is very raw and very real and very hard at points, that this would come to a place in your heart and your family and your heart and your and the very real stuff of this Bible would come in your place of being. And so there's church that there is a God who is weaving a plan of redemption as Amanda uh, told us this morning from Romans 8 that God causes things to work together for good. And there's a God weaving together relationships, weaving together good for the good of his people and the good of our families. And so there's a purpose behind this as well. Maybe for you, not necessarily family for you, but maybe Maybe it's your friends. Maybe you've got a very close, close circle of friends that maybe one of them or some of them have betrayed you or you're just walking through some hurt and that rebuilding some trust there and that God would use this in real time using real human beings here in Western PA to do the hard work of restoration, which is going to require his word and real faith and all of this being true about relationship life. And so we've said this, but last week we said this as well, but are there times maybe and perhaps in our own life, in our own journey, where we've given up on one trust in God too soon? Like the story of Joseph happens in, in this time where every single time, every point of his story, that he just kept walking and trusting God. And I just wonder sometimes, Sometimes maybe we've given up on one trust too soon, and maybe sometimes that that has hurt us in the long run. And so, just want you to know this, church, that like wherever you are in this in this morning, like the end and the vision for your life, the end has not been written on your life. Despite what what maybe your some maybe your family or whatever or friends or some people have told you that the end has not been written on your life. And God still reigns, and Jesus still reigns supreme. 
And so he trusted God, and even Joseph trusted God anyway. So if you're really doubting trust or in a place where God maybe is actually there, like wondering if things are really going to work out, I just wonder if we should trust in God's supreme timeline of things rather than our own. You see, in our own Christian context, but even just our own cultural context, man, we want things now, we want things exactly when we want it, now we want it, when we want it, and we want it right now. We want instantaneous results, and maybe we ought to just trust in God's supreme timeline which is built over a lifetime. And he's patiently and faithfully at work in ways that we could never employ. And so I just imagine what had been going through in Joseph's mind at this point. I mean, Joseph had, was innocent. He had resisted temptation and he'd been thrown into a pit and he'd been thrown into a prison he did not choose for himself. And yet he was still trusting of God. And we have thousands of pages of stories all across the scriptures telling about how God's people walked through seasons which were hurtful and doubtful and struggled. And we have thousands of pages of stories of that and how God has reigned supreme and throughout all of it. You see, God's going to be there even if it goes all wrong. God is going to be there even if things seemingly go all wrong in your life. And know that for Joseph, that he still obeyed God. He held on to God's promises. He kept trusting in God in the midst of a very cruel world, which told him and which implied that he give up and give in and be told no. And yet God was still there, and he still trusted God. So here's kind of where this is. The story of Joseph is the first, in the first book of the Bible, the big picture of this. Joseph was one of 12 brothers from the land. Uh, from, from, from a family in which his father, father from the beginning overtly loved Joseph more than all the other brothers. It's kind of a, kind of a story that starts with this. Like he loves him overtly more than any other, uh, any other. And then Joseph gets this fancy colorful robe that no one else has. And then Joseph receives these God-given dreams from God. And he tells his brothers and the story has jealousy and envy written all over it and begins with his family and now to his brothers because they're quite envious of his dreams. And his brothers are going to bow down to them. And it's quite difficult because I know for me, I'm also a sibling. I don't know if any of you have siblings, but you know how difficult that can be to like think about he's got dreams and his brothers are going to it says like in these dreams that his brothers are going to bow down to him I'm a sibling I can imagine the relational tension that would be there um just just imagine that um that the tension that would be in this and so he gets, he gets thrown into his, uh, sold into slavery at the hand of his brothers, and he goes to a place, and he goes to Egypt, which is very far away from home for him, and he gets thrown into a prison, and maybe you find yourself this morning in a place that you thought you'd never be in life, that you thought you'd never be at this place, you thought you did all the right things rightly, and you'd made the right choices, and yet you find yourself in a place, or maybe in a world that you did not find or choose for yourself, and yet you find yourself here And so at this point, Joseph, what we talked about on, in chapter 40 was Joseph found himself in a prison and he's listening to a cupbearer and a baker who had these dreams for themselves. And yet Joseph did not waver in his trust and one might assume that he had lost that trust. And yet what we find is one whose trust deepens. You see, Joseph's life teaches us, and even we'll find this throughout the story, that disappointments are essential to spiritual growth because they demand faith and resting all hope upon God. That disappointments are key to spiritual growth and being placed unfairly in a prison, sold at your closest relatives and lied to in a place in a country that you did not know, in a language and a people that you don't fully understand, you don't know much about. 
and wondering if he will ever get out of prison. And in those days, Joseph had no idea if he'd ever get out of the prison. Nothing fully guaranteed for him to get out. Joseph did not let what anyone else was saying about it do and around him to affect his relationship to God. Joseph did not let his circumstances hinder that relationship he had to God. The challenge in this story is that despite the unjust nature being placed into a prison and being accused of a crime that you did not commit and accused of a crime that you did not commit and being betrayed by the people closest to you and the people that you absolutely love, maybe the people that are closest to us have betrayed us the most, and that's exactly what happened to Joseph. And Joseph still made this best out of this situation and still trusted God in the midst of it. And it's this fascinating story of this one who has this unwavering ability to trust God even when circumstances seem to self-pity or complain or become bitter or angry or resentful toward God and others. And I've never met anyone living in a world that they that they've hoped that they would turn out to a T. That they had planned to have, maybe you've had this like five-year plan of your life and that maybe some, this kind of some twists and turns have happened. And I've never fully met anybody who has had that completely turn out to a T. And I just want to say, like, the time to live for God is the world that you're in right now. The time to live for God is now. It's in this world that we're living in, all of us, no matter the age we are, no matter how young we are, no matter how old we are, the time to live for God is the world that we're in right now. Because today is promised, church. Today is promised. And when faith and circumstances get put to the test and when the pressure is on, and for Joseph, and this young man at this point, Joseph was 17 years old. And he went all the way up to the ranks of the Egyptian. It's, 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 it's this crazy story. 17 years old, and when pressure is on it, at this particular point, it revealed a trust that he had in God, even when his circumstances might have been told otherwise. And could it be that exactly where we are right now in our life, in our church, in our world, is exactly where God wants us to be? Could it be that exactly where we are right now is exactly where God wants us to be? And maybe sometimes, like, sometimes we're too focused on the next big thing from God in our lives and then overlook the sightings of God in our midst. And what we found out from, from two weeks ago is that Joseph, while he was in prison, had still his eyes on hurting people. I mean, he still had his eye toward the cupbearer and the baker, and he saw that they were hurting. And sometimes, church, like sometimes when we're in seasons of discouragement or disappointment, or we aren't sure what's next, sometimes in those seasons, sometimes in those places that we often miss hurting people around us, that we tend to neglect them because we're kind of, sometimes we are absorbed in, in what we are trying to do or maybe are just self-absorbed in, in ourselves. And, and he saw hurting people around him. And even when God speaks, we must be willing to listen and then listen intently and then have the courage to obey whatever is necessary. The verse, the, the, the verse of, 20, of chapter 40, verse 23, this is how this account ends. This is kind of the cliffhanger here into chapter 41. This is how it ends. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He what? Forgot him. He forgot him. In verse 23, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And I imagine the disappointment on Joseph at this point, knowing the guy was released. I mean, knowing this guy, the, the, the chief cupbearer was released from this prison and hoping he'd get out of there. And then yet day after day after day, he was hoping, the story goes that he was hoping that the cupbearer would put in a good word for him right as soon as he got released from prison. 
And uh, he did not. He forgot him. And then day after day, and you can imagine the disappointment that must have been on Joseph's face. Like, dude, let me get out of here. I'm in a place I didn't want to be. Come on. And then, like, day after day, can you imagine that? Like, I'm counting out the tallies day after day. After all what, we might find ourselves, you know, asking this question. Like, after all that happened to Joseph, why would something like this happen? And I just want you to know this, church, that God has not forgotten about you. Can you say it again? God has not forgotten about you. And he has not given up on you. Can I say it a third time? God has not forgotten about you. And he is not going to ever quit on you either. Genesis 41, let's go there, verse 1, and we're going to read through 16. And uh, uh, this is a rather, it's a lengthy it can be, it feel lengthy. We're going to go to verse 40, but we're going to read through 16. So let's, let's just, let's bear through a church and we're going to do it and let's hear from the Lord together, right? Amen? We're going to hear from God, right? Amen? Or from the Holy Spirit to listen to us this morning. Okay, Genesis 41, let's go there. When two full years had passed, can you imagine that? Two full years had passed. Like he gets into this prison uh, and the chief cupbearer, he had one job. He's like, dude, get me out of here. Two full years had passed after that. Sometimes we're in places where we don't want to be and years that we don't want to be in. And the scriptures say sometimes it takes time. Two years in a prison that he didn't really deserve to be in. Two full years had passed. Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. And after them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek fat cows, and Pharaoh, then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep. Again, so dreams, right? This is kind of a common theme throughout the Joseph story. So here's Pharaoh telling his dreams. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind. Then thin, grains, then thin heads of grain swallowed up by the seven healthy full heads. When, when Pharaoh woke up, it had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was robbed, so that he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me. So you're like, here comes verse 9. Chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I'm reminded of my shortcomings. It's like, dude, you should have said this like years ago. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, come on, man. It's like, cupbearer, you know... Um, and I just got to say this, church, like, let's just be real. We all have cupbearers in our life. Where we're placing trust in people and things, maybe it's Dr. Phil, the next weight loss program, Oprah. We're placing our trust in other things when rather it's, only, it's God and God alone who holds the key to some of the prisons we're in. Just a thought. Who are we giving our when we're in prison and when we're in a hard place, who are we giving our trust to and what? Anyway, I, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. It's not to say to never, by the way, it's never to say not to trust in people ever again, but let's just be honest with ourselves. Like sometimes we just place trust in too many, too much trust in human beings. Okay? 
Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream, and things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. I like, when I read that, I'm like, there's no electric razor. So I wonder, like, how did he do that? Like, no shaving cream, maybe? How would he have done that? Um, I shave, and my face gets cut up. And I'm like, how did he eat the knife or like butter? Like, how did he do this? Okay. Um, he came before Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said that when you hear a dream that you can interpret it and watch verse 16. He says, I can't do it. Replied, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but who? But God will give Pharaoh the answer that he desires. I can't do it, but I will give to God. So are you in a period of waiting? kind of fill in the awkward silence for a minute. There is one verse that fills in this awkward silence gap between verse 23 and verse 1. Two years, and then boom, bam, everything changes for Joseph. I might have woken somebody up. Sorry, but I'm not sorry. Um, It's okay. Life is sometimes full of awkward surprises and silences. Silences, phone calls, conversations that seem to to stutter along. Awkward silence, awkward conversations, right? Kind of makes up life, right? It's what that whole chapter hangs on. Like it's this, it's what Joseph is dealing with in chapter 41. Maybe you're in a period, a place of waiting where sometimes it feels monotonous, unspectacular, and a slow moving grind. (laughs) But in reality, a whole lot is happening. In reality. And we may be in that place and asking God for much of the same. And Joseph, had a whole, lot, a whole lot of waiting. And we may be asking the same thing. Joseph had been obedient to God. He had done all the right things. And, and he was promoted because God was with him. We're told that over and over, that God was with him. And the Bible's answer to this period of time, over and over again, the Bible's answer to this period of time, of this period of waiting in Joseph's life, across all of Genesis, and for you and I to hear right now, to never forget, is that God was with him. And that's exactly what the pages of the Bible are written on for us to hear right now, that God was with him. And for centuries and centuries, and as the decades roll on, the hanging word upon the life of Joseph was that God was with him, and that this evidence of a life with God was noticed on, one faithful, on that one faithful day. Everything changed at one day. It reminds me of the book of Job. Job was a guy in the Bible that God was still at work in his life. And if you've ever read the book of Job, it's a lengthy one and it's a challenging one. Um, it's a very challenging read. So dear old Job, Job had been beaten black and blue by calamity and hardship and death and on the like. And 10 of his children had died and his home was destroyed. He lost everything he owned, including his own health. He did not have very caring friends. And I don't think anyone would cluck his tongue at Job for saying what he did 
did in, med- in, in meditating on his circumstances. In Job 23, verse, starting in verse 3, it says, If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No, he would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him. And there I would be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, he is not there. But if I go to the west, I don't find him. When he's at work in the north, I don't see him. When he goes to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. And Job is saying, I wish I could find God. I wish he and I could just sit down and talk openly about my situation. And I could ask him, I'm going through these things. I want to have all my why questions answered, God. I want to know why, God. I want to have all my how long questions answered too. And all those problems solved. Yet Job still believes that God will listen to him throughout all this. Throughout all the centuries of centuries of all the story of all of the Bible and all the stories, the Bible and the, the, the story of Job is written for all of us to know that God still listens to us. That God will still listen to us. And still, and Job believes that. And where he is, he, he's maybe questioning where he's trying to find God. And what he sees, maybe he can't see fully quite yet. But in verse, and know this, but he says, he knows this as Job in, verse, in chapter 23, in verse 10. says, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. And I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. There is no hurry, this is, the, this is the timeline of God, but there is no hurrying process of, in the making of men and women to God. God is the refiner. And Job is, not test, Job is not saying, when he has tried me, I will win the PA lottery and make millions. <laughs> or when he has tried me, I'll get everything back that I lost. And it's often in this very place where we'd rather not be where God does his best work on us. We'd rather not be in a place, a situation where we'd rather not be than God does his best work on us. And we know this from the life of Joseph. Joseph quickly finds himself at the ranks of the Egyptian palace. And yet we went through a very long journey from the hills of Judah and then found himself in a prison he didn't choose to be in. And yet God was molding him throughout this entire process. Isaiah 64, 8 says, Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the what? Clay. And you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. If we're honest with ourselves, it's us who would like to have the chisel in our own hand, right? Let's be honest with a second. We would rather have the chisel in our own hand rather than have it God be the chisel in our hand. If we're, just, if we're honest in the deep recesses of our heart, we want to control the circumstances that we're in and sometimes the choices of our own doing. And we live in a fallen world, in a place that we can make very free and moral choices. What we hold in balance, this idea, the fact that God is sovereign, that God is in control, and yet we can also choose to make our own choices. And we live in a broken and fallen world, but we can trust in the God of the Bible, who is in control, who is over and over and over again, reveals himself and over all across the scriptures, accomplishes his will and plan through human brokenness and sin, and the like, and he will do it, and he is faithful that he will do it, and he is faithful to accomplish what he will accomplish, church. And Joseph's interaction with Pharaoh, he exercises humility. Did you notice this response to Pharaoh in verse 16? He says, I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Did you notice that answer? 
It's a lot of humility in that answer. But God will give the answer. I mean, if you think about it, he could have shouted from right there the opportunity. He could have pointed the finger at the cupbearer and said, Dummy, could have been out of here much sooner. <laughs> like, dude, could have said another word in there or something. Dummy, I could have been out of here much sooner. I could have, had, I've, I could have been handling dreams for you the past couple years. Like, it's, I could have been doing this instead, yet I serve a God who knows the answers. And he holds God in the highest regard and gives God the credit. He holds God as the object of his trust. Sometimes don't we often like self-pity or relegate to bitterness when things don't go our way? Like we just kind of get bitter a little bit. Joseph did not. We don't find that across the the stories of, of the pages of this. He could have had all the excuses in the world to blame God, blame others for things that necessarily did not go his way and go in his favor. And he doesn't do any of that. Instead, no, I'm not the one with the answers, but I serve a God who knows the answers and we'll both listen to him and he'll tell us what exactly he wants us to learn. Why was he able to say that? Because I knew, I think, I believe that Joseph's heart was softened. (laughs) And through all of these experiences, his heart was breaking for the things of God. And he placed his sole confidence in God alone. Everything he had belonged to God, including the gifts that he had been giving. All that, we, all that we have comes from God. It's an act of worship. And trusting Him when things don't go very well on the surface is a whole other thing. When disappointment comes and expectations are unmet, when circumstances go south, when things aren't exactly what you hope for, it reveals a lot about our heart. And in those circumstances, that God does grow us and uses us in those circumstances to bring about a greater plan and purpose. And our future lies in the hands of God alone. And who better to trust the one, the one who knows the future before we can even see it? Better to trust the one who knows exactly how things are going to go. Verse 17. Hang in there with me, church. Thank you. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, And they grazed among the weeds. And after them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I've never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh's being quite honest here. (laughs) The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows and came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. And they looked just as ugly as before. And then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. And after them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. And I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God, you notice this, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine are going to follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that, that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by who? God. And who will do it? 
God. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint the commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. And they should collect all the food of those good years that are coming and store it up under the grain, under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used in the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. And so Pharaoh asked them, can we, can, can we find anyone like this man, one, in whom the spirit, one whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since, since who? God has made all this known to you. There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne I will, I will, will I be greater than you. Um, did you notice God is repeated throughout this? God's the one. God's the one doing this. And it's because in those days, Pharaoh was also seen as a deity. He was seen as a God figure in those days. And Joseph's like kind of bringing him down to ground zero. Like, no, God is the capital G God is the one who is God and not necessarily you. And so this is like, this is brilliant. This is 20% times seven years saving plan. Have you ever thought about that? Like if I save a fifth over seven years. <laughs> um, every aspect, this is a dynamic plan, but this is a call to action. And this is what fascinates this church, that this call to action was based on his knowledge of what God was going to do. This was an actionable plan. And it's, uh, Kent Hughes, as an author, says that we see the knowledge of what God is doing to do, God is going to do, does not produce passive resignation, but it also it produces aggressive action. The knowledge of God's purpose is not the end of human planning, but the beginning of it. The fact that God set this future. And has set the future as a mighty summons to action. It's a call to action based on what we know about God to be true and the promises that God has made. The knowledge of God does not mean retreat, but it means action. It means that for Christ's church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. It means that when Jesus looks at those disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel, and he says to them, and all those three long years of ministry... He says, go and make disciples of all nations. That He means that there is energy behind that because God commands it. We hold tightly to the history in Revelation 7-9 that every nation, all from all tribes and tongues and languages, because that is holding on to what God says will be true at the end. And that ought to cause us to be a particip participant toward that end and toward what God is doing and the energy behind of what God is doing. And it causes us to be a participant. It means that there is tremendous energy and power around the streets of Newcastle because it's, it's declaring how big our God is. And not on the evil and not on the sin of this world, but we serve a bigger God who's bigger than all of that. And there's tremendous energy around the fact that God is alive and that he says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, of all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And there's tremendous energy behind these commands of what God is doing. There's a God who's greater, there's a God who's bigger and more powerful than any force of evil or any man-made construction of power or influence. And it may feel dark, it may feel like you're not making a very big difference in this world. It may feel like you maybe are making one little significant difference, but it is significant in the kingdom of God. 
And we serve a bigger God who's in control over the plans of this world, and we are to trust the one who knows the future already and knows the burdens that we carry. So maybe you're like this morning, man, that's great for Joseph, but what about me? What about my life? What about where I am? What about my circumstance, my life, where you're in currently? Maybe you're in that two-year gap. And maybe it feels like it's longer than that. Maybe it's real and it's these dark moments in life and a season. You're doing all that you can to keep your hope alive. Maybe you've been let down by your cupbearer. Maybe you've been waiting for the slightest, the slightest good news to come your way. Maybe the wall has been marked with tallies. Counting down the days. You'd hope to have a better future. You feel abandoned by God. You feel forgotten then those questions about God get brought up to the surface. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God doesn't care about me. Maybe God doesn't want me anymore. Yet even in the silence and waiting on God, what we don't find in the pages of a story is a man riddled with bitterness or jealousy and vengeance, but a man who never stopped trusting in God alone. Who are the people we were becoming? Who are the kinds of people we're becoming in those spaces and places. Who in the days and the in-between months and perhaps years of waiting and trusting in God, are we becoming increasingly more bitter or vengeful or angry? So writer Steve Elliott says that we're meant to trust God, trust that he is looking out for us, that his timing is right, that his plan is unfolding, and trust that he has not forgotten us or abandoned us. In a very real-world sense, cupbearers are everywhere. We are counting on people or things to get us out of prisons to which God can only get us out of prisons. And it's not to say we should ever tr- never trust people. It's that we should ought to trust God first and foremost in our life. The space between the awkward silence of chapters 40 and 41 are meant to tell us that God can be trusted and that God can and will use also 17-year-old kids. <laughs> to grow into all that God desires. Sometimes I wonder if we sort of like, we look down on young kids like that, perhaps because we're, we're a little bit keen on, well, they don't have as much life yet. And what Joseph reminds me is God can use those people <laughs> from those 17 to 30 age people. <laughs> Sometimes we like look down on that and we say, well, there's not enough life experience. They don't, haven't gone through this. They haven't gone through that. They haven't seen the world enough to know any better yet. And I think God would say, no, They're people essential to my kingdom, and you need to champion them now. The time to do it is now, not when they start, not when things start lining up for them in our life, but the time for all of us to trust God is right now. Amen. God's word for you, he says this, that God's word for you from this account is that you are never abandoned. God knows you're waiting. He knows you're waiting for a corner to turn, a new, day to, a new day to break, a door to open. And he has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. And as the old hymn goes, his eye is on the sparrow. I know he watches me. Joe Bailey, in the last thing we talk about, tells about losing his three sons. Danny, John, and Joe, each, look, each at a different age and under different circumstances due to death. One before he was five with leukemia. Remembering those heartaches, Bailey writes of hope returning. And he writes this, one morning, in, uh, Saturday morning in January, I saw the mail truck stop at our mailbox up the road. 
Without thinking except that I wanted to get the mail, I ran out of the house and up the road in my shirt and sleeves. It was bitterly cold, the temperature was below zero, and there was a brisk wind coming from the north, and the ground was covered more than a foot of snow. I opened the mailbox, pulled out the mail, and about to make this mad dash to the house, when I saw was on the bottom, under the letters, a burpee seed catalog. And on the front were bright zinnias, and I turned it over. And on the back were huge tomatoes. (laughs) And for a few moments, I was oblivious to the cold. I was delivered from it. And I leafed through the catalog, tasting corn and cucumbers (laughs) and smelling roses. (laughs) I saw the freshly plowed earth, smelled it, and let it run through my fingers. And for those brief moments, I was living in the springtime and summer. Winter passed. Then the cold penetrated to my bones, and I ran back to the house. When the door was closed behind me and I was getting warm again, I thought, I thought how my moments at the mailbox were like our experience as Christians. We feel the cold, along with others who don't have and don't share our hope. The biting wind penetrates us as, as them. But in our cold time, we have a seed catalog, and we open it, and we smell the promised spring, eternal spring. And the first fruit that settles our hope is Jesus Christ, who was raised from death, from cold earth to glory eternal. He will be with us through the dungeon days, the hard days in marriage, the lonely days, the seasons of discontent, the hospital rooms, the hard Wednesdays and the career that you didn't choose for yourself to choose or choose to be in, the people that you're surrounded with that you don't agree with and don't see eye to eye with. He will be with you. And he will be with you during the blast of the winter storm, holding out to the promise to springtime. And he will be there through the darkest nights, reminding us of morning light. You see, today, we're to trust in the present and the future that God has for you and only you because he's going to be there. Let's pray. Worship team, if you'll come up. Please sing this song.